0: It was an unusual Western. Uh, One studio head said he would buy it if I didn't send send it to South America. And I said, but they went to South America. He said, I don't
1: give a shit. John Wayne, don't run away. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. Joining me today, just as soon as we agree on the rules for a knife fight, is my lovely wife, Nikia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On today's episode, Nikia and I are sitting down for her first viewing of George Roy Hill's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid from 1969. Nikia Butch Cassidy turns 50 years old this month... What, if anything, do you know about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid?
0: I know zero about Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid.
1: <laughs> zero? How? Zero. Just zero. Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. It means nothing. nothing to you. No, nothing. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fun. Okay. So you don't even know enough to know whether you're dreading it.
0: Well, I know it's a Western. It's sort of a Western, and we'll talk about that. But, but... yeah, that's the extent of my knowledge. Okay. So that was enough to know that it, I didn't need to watch it.
1: Okay, well, I guess we better start there then. Mm -hmm. We have not done a Western no, in the entire history of The Unenthusiastic Critic.
0: Well, we did Blazing Saddles. With the exception of
1: Blazing Saddles, which is a comedy first and foremost. Mm -hmm. It's shameful. It's my fault. I think we're probably going to have to take about three months and do nothing but Westerns at some point to catch up, because I do have quite a few on the list. I am not particularly a Western aficionado, Mm -hmm. and I think that's why I've sort of avoided doing them. So it's just that when I look at the list, I never quite feel like doing Stagecoach or (laughs) Shane, High Noon. These are all on the list, and we will do them eventually, but it's not my favorite genre. Okay. Mostly, I like the ones that don't take themselves very seriously mm-hmm. or are sort of non-traditional or deconstructionist Westerns. Like, I love Deadwood. The TV show Deadwood yes. is possibly my favorite show of all time. But that's a Western that's not what we mean when we say a Hollywood
0: Western. Right.
1: It's, if anything, it's deconstructing that. Mm-hmm. Have you ever even seen a Western? <laughs>
0: um. So I was giving this some thought, and I think I'm probably a little bit in line with your sort of appreciation for quote-unquote Westerns that either have a slightly less traditional protagonist, Mm -hmm. provide some sort of different perspective... So, Blazing Saddles, as we mentioned, mm-hmm. one, yes, it is a comedy. But then, two, it's also, what does it mean for the black man to be the white hat?
1: <laughs> right. In a Western. Right. That was the very first movie we ever watched yes. for The Unenthusiastic, Greg, yes. back when it started as a blog series.
0: Yes. Uh, so,
1: you didn't want to watch that one either. I
0: did not, but it was actually, I mm-hmm. really did enjoy it. Um, and part of, I mean, Cleavon Little is just a genius, yeah. and so there's no denying that, whatever genre he's in. Um, and then, as you mentioned, Deadwood. I loved Deadwood. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was more in line with the traditional white hat, black hat, except that there was nuance to those characters that I think sometimes westerns don't have.
1: Yeah. I mean, really. I think when we talk about the traditional Hollywood western, there's a sort of moral clarity right. of who the good guys are and who exactly. the bad guys are. And Deadwood and is, it's a Deadwood's the opposite
0: gray of that. area. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people were living in the gray there. Yeah. And then it was just. From my very limited knowledge and from what I can tell, I do think that there is a lyricism and a pacing to Westerns. And I think Deadwood just sort of turned that up to 11 Mm -hmm. and made it almost Shakespearean in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, the language in Deadwood is just brilliant. So, while, yes, it was a Western, I appreciated it because I just thought the writing was beautiful. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then True Grit, the Coen Brothers version. I
1: just rewatched that recently. I like that movie. Yeah,
0: I like that a lot. And, again, you have... The, perspe- the, the the our protagonist is a young girl versus you know the typical American masculine mm-hmm. hero thing, and then um, Django Unchained was the oh I've forgotten I, yeah, I, yeah I guess that which,
1: counts you know
0: has a a lot of problems for me <laughs> yes well we that was
1: we actually have a post on that as yes. well I don't know if you remember but we had a conversation yes. about that for mm-hmm. the blog mm-hmm. where you laid out some of your issues yeah I don't like that movie yeah. at all.
0: So, technically, I've seen westerns. They are not probably. You've seen probably...
1: a few. I was trying to think what else you'd seen. Uh, I know you have seen one of my favorites that you did oh, not enjoy, yeah. which is Silverado. Yeah. I think you were just not in the mood for that. I think maybe we need to watch that again.
0: I was I was open to it. I think you sold it poorly. Did I? You That's... were like, oh, this is going to be really funny. You're going to enjoy it. Well, I mean, it's not a
1: comedy. I know it's not it's a comedy. Not like Blazing Saddles, No, I know that, but, but
0: I didn't find it funny at all.
1: Okay. I didn't enjoy it. okay
0: but no I mean westerns are just they're one of those genres I mean you know this has come up across the sort of span of this project that we've been doing it sort of hits all those buttons that are are turn offs for me Mm -hmm. for the most part This, this sort of nostalgia for the American frontier That is open and uninhabited, or if it is
1: mythologizing of American history. If it is
0: inhabited, it's inhabited by quote unquote savages, sort of thing. And Mm. so I I, I just don't tend to be interested in those stories. And they are typically very hyper masculine. Um, So
1: hyper masculine. very white,
0: very whites, and for the most part, of American, right? Yeah,
1: exceptional. Yeah, yeah. no, so. I know it's a, it's a tough sell. It's not, for it's not you. my it's
0: not my my lane, but now I do think,
1: and I think we will probably have a proper conversation about westerns one of these days when we watch something that's more of a proper western. Mm-hmm. I do think that most of the great westerns they do to some extent deconstruct the genre. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there are very few. Great westerns that would be considered traditional Hollywood westerns. Mm-hmm. I think the concept of the formulaic western—that's a very B movie,
0: okay—type
1: of thing. I think the great westerns—they're—they're they're a little more subversive mm-hmm. than okay. we tend to think of them as. Like I—I I was really late catching up with High Noon uh, with Gary Cooper, which I always thought was probably a very traditional mm-hmm. western, and it's really not. It's really kind of a very cynical.
0: Mm-hmm
1: movie um surprisingly so i do think when we finally get around to watching some it'll be more interesting probably than you think they will be okay uh but this movie is not i mean it is obviously it is western but it's primarily i would say a genre we have talked about before the buddy picture okay Patricia Bosworth, uh, writing a profile on Paul Newman for Vanity Fair, called it the archetypal buddy film of the 70s. And she quoted Newman saying, I don't think people realize what that picture was all about. It's a love affair between the two men. Isn't it always? And I was thinking about these two men. You, I don't think you have seen very much of either of their work. Who are the two men? Uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford.
0: Sock Cat on a hot tin Roof.
1: Okay, that's I think that was the only Paul Newman movie I could think of that you had seen, with the possible exception of late Paul Newman. Uh, did you see The Hudsucker Proxy probably? Yes. Okay. Hudsucker
0: yes. That's a that's a great film, actually. <laughs> yeah, I actually that's a good I don't think I've seen I don't think very you've seen Paul anything
1: Newman. else. Um, there's several more on our list. Um, these are all movies I like very much, including The Hustler, HUD, Cool Hand Luke. The Sting, Slapshot. <laughs> and we did. We talked about we would watch The Towering Inferno one of these days, yes. too. That's we have talked yeah. about The
0: Towering Inferno. Yes. Yes. So, no, I'm, my exposure to Paul Newman is limited. Okay. Um, and then Robert Redford, I've uh, seen Gatsby. E-
1: equally limited, I think. Yeah. Gatsby. And then just recently we caught, I don't remember if we watched all of it, uh, Barefoot in the Park, which was one of his first movies. Oh, God. With Jane Fonda. That
0: was, yeah. <laughs> That was a random one. We were it flipping like, channels. Yeah, we, were we just it and just landed yeah. on it. Yeah, that was a random one. Yes. Yeah, I guess no. I haven't had a lot of mm-hmm. Robert Redford either.
1: No. Nope. Uh all the president's men is on our list. We'll definitely watch that. Okay, so I think this this is reason enough to be watching this movie right okay. here because you you definitely need exposure to these two, these two leading men. Do I? You do. Okay. And we and we will in fact watch uh The same director, George Roy Hill, and these two actors made a movie a few years later called The Sting, which Mm -hmm. is another one of my favorites. We will watch that as well one of these days. Okay. Uh, But I think, I mean, apart from everything else, and without obviously knowing either of them personally, I think these were both really good guys. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, Redford's still alive. Obviously, Newman passed away in 2008, I think. Uh, But they seem to be just really good guys. Mm -hmm. Redford's probably a little more conservative than we like, but, you know, he's one of those Western guys. (laughs) Uh, But he's, you know, a staunch environmentalist. He founded the Sundance Film Festival to promote independent film. And then Newman was just a great guy. He was a lifelong progressive political activist. He marched on Washington with Dr. King. He campaigned for Eugene McCarthy and other progressive Democratic candidates. And then his philanthropic work Mm -hmm. is just off the charts. He founded the Newman's Own Brand, all of which the proceeds from that all go to charity, estimated to be in excess of $400 million to date. He founded a camp for sick children called the Hole in the Wall Gang, which is a reference to this movie. (laughs) And he was married to the same woman, the great Joanne Woodward, for 50 years, which I always think is a mark of probably a halfway decent Decent guy. So I am excited to watch this movie. Like I said, it is. I I don't remember when I first saw it. I feel like I always have seen this movie, but I was probably 10 years old when I first saw this movie and loved it. I haven't watched it in a while, so I'm looking forward to watching it again. Let's do a little background on it here at the top. So it was released in October of nineteen sixty nine, written by the great screenwriter William Goldman, who won an Oscar for this screenplay. What would you know him from? He wrote he wrote The Princess Bride, both the novel and the film. Okay. He wrote Misery. He's he's probably the best-known screenwriter of that era, if only because he wrote several books on screenwriting that have sort of become the Bibles mm. for every up-and-coming screenwriter after him. Okay. But he, had, he came across this story in the 50s. He sort of researched it half-acidly on and off for many years. He said he didn't care too much about authenticity, and he got bored doing research, so... <laughs> He doesn't claim this is particularly authentic, but the story is mostly true. There's a disclaimer at the beginning that says most of this is true. Okay. But it was the story of these two outlaws, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And we can, we can talk about the real story after we watch the film, since you don't know anything about the movie. I think we'll preserve that innocence. Okay. Not spoil anything for you, mm-hmm. but... Goldman sold this screenplay for more money than any screenplay had ever gone for before. It was directed by George Roy Hill, and this actually... We have watched a George Roy Hill film before, a late George Roy Hill film, which was The World According to Garb, which you didn't like at all.
0: Did I not like it at all?
1: I don't think you liked it much.
0: Yeah, I don't. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but he also directed The Sting, which we will watch, and he also directed Newman in Slapshot, which we will watch. He's, he's a very good, I think, underrated director. Newman was always attached. Newman was probably the biggest star in Hollywood at the time, after a string of hits in the 60s, including Hud and Cool Hand Luke, which Mm -hmm. had really made him a megastar. At one point, Steve McQueen was going to co-star with Newman. They apparently fell out over top billing. Robert Redford was attached. Redford, at this point, had made a few films. He'd mostly done TV. He was not a big star, and he was not a sex symbol. Hmm. Um, He had done Barefoot in the Park. But that's a comedic part. Yeah. And that's, I think, how people thought of him then. Mm. Um, and in fact, William Goldman says he thought of Redford as someone who was going to be like the next Jack Lemon. Really? Yeah.
0: He has such a Kennedy vibe. That's interesting. Yeah.
1: And then this movie turned him into a sex symbol. <laughs> the reviews of this movie were not good. Looking forward to it. Mostly not good. Pauline Kale didn't like it at all. Roger Ebert didn't like it much more than that. Oh, God. Vincent Camby and the New York Times didn't like it much. Uh, and we'll look at some of their reviews after we watch the movie. However, the audience liked it. Uh, this was a smash hit, grossing over $100 million in 1969 money, making it the number one movie of the year. Adjusted for inflation, that puts it in the top 40 of all time. Wow. That's something like $600 million in today's money. It currently has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was nominated for eight Oscars, including Best Picture, and it won four Oscars for cinematography, score, song, and screenplay. The Brits, for some reason, liked it even more than the Americans did. It won nine BAFTAs, which was every award it was nominated for, except that both actors were nominated and only one of them could win. The Writers Guild ranks the screenplay at number 11 on its list of the 101 greatest screenplays of all time. American Film Institute has it as number 73 on its list of the top 100 American movies of all time, and number 7 on its list of the best Westerns. I love this movie. This is a classic starring two absolute giants, and I have been looking forward to this one. Raindrops keep falling on my head. Well, that ought to do it. And just like the guy whose feet are too big for his bed. Think he's enough dynamite there, Bush?
0: (laughs) Nothing seems to fit those. This is a robbery. Esto es un robo Raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling
1: I always thought I was going to grow up to be a hero Well, it's too late now So I just did the some Talking to the sun Listen, I don't mean to be a sore loser But uh, when it's done, if I'm dead Kill him, I'd love to And
0: I said I didn't like the way He got things done
1: Sleeping on the job I never shot anybody before One hell of a time to tell me Raindrops are falling on my head They keep falling Whatever they're selling, I don't want it But there's one
0: thing I know
1: They're very good The blues they send to
0: meet me Won't defeat
1: me I wish we had rifles they got rifles, huh? We got surprise on our side, right? It won't be long till happiness
0: steps up to greet me.
1: I'll jump first. I can't swim! Oh, are you crazy? The fall will probably kill you. Oh, 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 oh. Paul Newman, Robert Redford, and Catherine Ross.
0: Bill, well, we're back in business, boys and girls, just like the old days.
1: Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. What more can we say? We're back during the break, Nikki and I watched Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Nikki, what did you make of this one?
0: Uh, this one actually confused me a little bit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How? What do you mean confused you?
0: I think the tone's
1: pretty straightforward.
0: Not really. The tone, <laughs> the tone took some odd turns a couple times there in the film. And I, I don't quite understand why. There's these weird interludes that didn't seem necessary or additive, really. So,
1: Okay, do you see now maybe why I said it's sort of a Western?
0: Yeah, it's definitely not a traditional Western right. that I was thinking
1: of. The screenwriter, William Goldman, said he didn't know what it was. He said he didn't think it was violent enough to be a Western. Hmm. He didn't think it was funny enough to be a comedy. It was just somewhere right down the middle.
0: Okay. So it's always good when the director doesn't quite know what they're doing.
1: <laughs> no, he was the writer. And mean, the he writers. didn't know. I mean, I don't think we can say he didn't know what he was doing. I think he just <laughs> recognized that this was kind of an unclassifiable thing. Mm-hmm. And apparently the studio told him that. Apparently, one of the studio bosses took issue with the fact that Butch and Sundance spend most of the movie running away, being cowards, and the guy was like, John Wayne doesn't run away, Mm. you know, so if it's a western, they shouldn't be running. There should be some
0: sort of last dance. Right, they shouldn't be,
1: I mean, basically they're cowards in this movie, they spend the Uh, whole movie running. I think
0: they're smart. And then I
1: think that was the issue the critics had with it, too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Let's look at a couple of the reviews. Pauline Kael didn't like it at all. (laughs) She said, Butch Cassidy is a glorified vacuum. It's a facetious Western, and everybody in it talks comical. The director, George Roy Hill, doesn't have the style for it. He doesn't really seem to have the style for anything. (laughs) The tone, using the same word you used, Mm -hmm. becomes embarrassing, Pauline Kael said. Roger Ebert gave it two and a half stars, which is pretty mediocre. Mm -hmm. Uh, He liked the first act, but then he thought it became slow and bloated. And he also said, he said, William Goldman's script is constantly too cute and never gets up the nerve, by God, to admit it's a Western. Mm. And this is a theme that people who like the movie hit. Also, uh, writing the Telegraph in 2015, Mark Lee said, it's a western that's almost in denial that it's a western. Director George Roy Hill is determined to ignore the conventions of western making. It's hard to imagine now just how astonishing it was to interrupt the action with a sunlit frolic on a newfangled bicycle as the whimsical raindrops keep falling on my head, burbles away in the background. I suspect that's one of those strange interludes you were referring to.
0: Here's the thing. <laughs> if you make me hate Paul Newman... <laughs> how, how could you hate Paul Newman? If you, he was okay.
1: adorable If you in make me scene. annoyed
0: with Paul Newman, you've done something <laughs> terribly wrong as a director, as a writer. As, it's just... There's, that should just not happen. <laughs> it, it should not be possible. And that... What felt like a 30-minute sequence of him doing bike tricks with the girl. It was just, and sort of grinning and cheesing for the camera. It was just a weird, like, Paul Newman came in and said, you know what I like to do? I like to ride bikes. I want to ride a bike in this movie.
1: And they were like, okay. He, he did all his own bike riding, well, clearly.
0: And so, but it's, it's just a weird moment in the film. It's, it's totally a shift in tone. And again, it's one of those things that I think it would be a better film if you just subtracted that whole sequence out. I mean.
1: Sure, maybe. Would it be as interesting a movie? I don't know. See, well,
0: this is what I'm saying. This idea of it being sort of unclassifiable. That's fine if it's interesting. If uh-huh. it's like okay, this is giving me something to. I don't. I don't know that this is actually interesting.
1: I mean, to me, that is one of the moments, and there are a few in the movie where I remember that this was made in 1969, mm-hmm. where I remember that this was the same year as Easy Rider, mm-hmm. which we discussed a few episodes back, mm-hmm. um, and we talked about in that episode. We talked a lot about 1969 and about how that being sort of the year that changed everything in america and in hollywood and i think this is a movie that is very much caught in that moment of transition yeah where it's got one foot in old hollywood traditional western action movie Mm -hmm. crowd pleasing etc and then the other foot is in that sort of new hollywood counterculture anarchic era Mm -hmm. right and i can see that perhaps some of the pieces don't work together. What
0: I'm saying is the bike sequence that, well. doesn't fit into either of those. The bike sequence fits in an old Hollywood film, but not an old Hollywood Western. It fits in some other sort of... No, I think I,
1: to, see, to me, the bike scene is more hippy-dippy. Was it? You know. It
0: seems corny.
1: Summer of love kind of feeling it to didn't tr- it. It
0: just struck me as corny. Because uh,
1: I actually think the rest of the movie has aged very well. Yeah, I think it feels very modern. I don't yes. I think, especially okay. if you compare it to like Easy Rider mm-hmm. or some of the other things from that era, we've watched the dialogue, the rapport between the two mm-hmm. characters, the all of that feels like it could have been made much more recently than it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that sequence is smack dab in the middle of 1969. See,
0: but it didn't even strike me as Summer of Love hippy dippy. It just struck me as corny. Okay, he looked like he was auditioning for Ringling Brothers. <laughs> it was.
1: It was. He would have gotten the job though.
0: Not really, because he fell off the bike.
1: Okay. (laughs) There's more detail about this than you want. (laughs) (laughs) But there was a stunt guy hired to do the bicycle tricks. Mm -hmm. He couldn't do the bicycle tricks. Paul Newman could do the bicycle tricks.
0: And what I'm saying is...
1: And the only shot that isn't Paul Newman is him falling off the bicycle. That's somebody else.
0: I don't understand any of the choices (laughs) made in that sequence.
1: Here's my question about that. Okay. The bicycle had been invented about five minutes earlier. When did he learn to ride a bicycle like that?
0: Good point. (laughs) I do not, apparently he had preternatural gifts for (laughs) riding a bike, I do not know. So uh, how how
1: much of the problem was the song? The song was Oscar winning song by the way. That was the best song the Oscars of
0: 1960. 80% of it <laughs> maybe?
1: I I think it's a horrible horrible song. Is
0: maybe and maybe that's why it struck me as corny. Maybe that's what took out took the summer of if that's what that was supposed to be. So if I take
1: that scene and I recut it to a, with a better song, <laughs> do you think you would like it better?
0: I don't know. It would really depend on like I don't I can't even think of what song that would be. That would make that okay. Um, but yes, the song definitely was, was grating.
1: This is this is another legend about this movie, is that apparently, because Burt Bacharach wrote the song, and then they got P.J. Thomas to sing it, and then when, apparently when P.J. Thomas's people saw the footage, mm-hmm. they tried to get him out of it, because they did not think the song was any good. They thought it was a horrible, embarrassing thing that their singer should not be attached to. Uh, but then he went and won on the Oscar for it, and it became literally the only P.J. Thomas song I can name, so. That was his his biggest hit.
0: The Oscars have always been questionable
1: <laughs> all right well, so what 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 were some of your other tonal issues with the film?
0: I think the other piece for me that felt I don't know if it felt out of place or if it just felt again, it was more like I think it was more about it being longer than I felt like it needed to be. Was the travel montage? Yeah, I
1: agree with you on that one. That just goes on. It goes
0: on for a very forever. long time, And it looks like they've like it looks like just they've been dropped into Overlook Hotel photos, and you're just sort of looking <laughs> at them little postcards of them sort of travel to New York and, and on various sort of modes of transit. And it, again, I just don't think it adds much of anything. I don't think it says anything. I just. I'm not quite sure why they felt that they needed to be.
1: I am not either. I don't I don't know what purpose it serves. Yeah. So one of the things Goldman said interested him about this story is he said it was sort of a counter argument to the Fitzgerald line about how there are no second acts in American lives. Because mm-hmm. he said what what fascinated him about this was that these guys became legends in America right. and then they went to Bolivia and they became legends in Bolivia mm-hmm. like they had this whole second act down in Bolivia. Mm-hmm. So that that montage you're talking about, which I agree feels like it's about 25 minutes long of just these still photographs, is the dividing line between those two acts, but I don't think think it's necessary. No, you don't need it. You really don't. (laughs) It feels like one of those ideas that the director just got enamored with, and then they shot a lot of pictures for it, and then it's like, okay, we're going to use all the pictures we shot, and I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I do think I do think the tone was tricky throughout this entire movie. And, in fact, they said they took a lot of jokes out. Hmm. Okay. Because they thought it was too funny. It was leaning too much towards comedy. Mm-hmm. And then that didn't go with the ending of <laughs> right. the movie. So they actually went through and they made the film less funny. Okay. It's still a pretty funny movie.
0: It is I a think. funny movie. I actually think that the chemistry between Paul Newman and... Robert Redford. Yes. (laughs) For some reason, I had Richard Gere in my head, and I was like, that's not right. (laughs) That would be a different (laughs) (laughs) Between Paul Newman and Robert Redford was really good. Mm -hmm. It's the highlight of the film, which makes sense. I mean, that's the
1: whole yeah, thing. is you want to hang out yeah. with these guys. You really That's do. really all there is to it. Yeah.
0: Paul Newman's the chatty, sort of smart guy, and Robert Redford is this sort of taciturn, but he gets in his own little, like, s- sly comments as well. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I really, I did enjoy spending time with them. Yeah. I thought that that was a really good aspect of the film.
1: Okay, so maybe let's let's just sort of go through, it's not a complicated plot. I think no. we can go through go through it here a little bit. I think the film is very self aware we open with a credit sequence that's in a movie theater showing mm-hmm. footage. So mm-hmm. it's like we're already.
0: There's an ironic remove right. sort of thing. Yeah.
1: And that will happen several times, I yes. think, through the movie. And
0: then we go into this
1: sepia toned opening that introduces both of these characters.
0: Mm-hmm. I really like this sequence in terms yeah. of. <laughs> it's great. It's one of the more visually interesting sequences mm-hmm. in the film as you said it's it's in sepia but also just the framing of it the way the scenes are framed it's very yeah. t- sort of tight focus
1: It is it is a very different style yeah. than the rest of the movie it's almost a disappointment Mm. When it when that ends and it fades Shifts into to, just yeah. normal normal color and mm-hmm. this different directorial style, I agree. But I love that opening. Yeah. I love him casing the bank. Th- the bank in that town. And it's got bars and it's got alarms and it's got an armed guard. The future is coming. <laughs> and he says, you know, what happened to the old bank? It was beautiful. People
0: kept robbing it. People kept robbing
1: it. <laughs> And he says it's a small price to pay for beauty. (laughs) Which I think it's funny, and I think it tells us a lot about who he is, but it's also, I think that's the theme of the movie, too is that it's this end of an era. Mm-hmm. And this is something in one of Goldman's books I was reading he reminds us of, is that the whole Wild West era mm-hmm. was really short. Hmm. It was about 35 years. It was about from the end of the Civil War to the end of the century. Mm-hmm. That's that's the whole period we're talking about. So it was almost, by definition, already ending You know, by the time anybody heard about right, it. Right, right. And I think, for me, a lot of the great Westerns are dealing with that. I think Deadwood does. I mean, Deadwood is about yes. civilization yes. coming to the Wild West.
0: And infringing on example. the right. For yeah. right.
1: Um, and even later stuff like Cormac McCarthy's novels, those characters are always going into Mexico because mm-hmm. in Mexico that's where...
0: They could still be free. They could
1: still be, mm-hmm. right. The Wild West was still somewhere mm-hmm. down in Mexico mm-hmm. because America had become too civilized, that kind of thing. And I think that's happening in this movie, too. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's our that's our introduction to Butch and then we get the introduction to the Sundance Kid.
0: Yes. Cheating at cards. He is not Okay. <laughs> See, that would get you shot.
1: He was not cheating at cards. That was the whole point. <laughs> the guy calls him a cheater. <laughs>
0: But no, yes. So that's another again that employment of that really tight frame. So all we're really seeing is Sundance's face as he's holding the cards. We can't see we're, we're the camera's behind the the men that are that he's playing against. Right,
1: we're sort of in the, P- right. the point of view of the guy playing against him.
0: Um, and then once the gentleman accuses him of cheating and he stands up, we're still down <laughs> in, in with Sunday at the level of Sundance, and it's just the tension and just the framing of that scene is really great.
1: Yeah. And again, it, it, it is a really nicely directed... Like, it's really I, well done. I like how the first time the guy says something, he says, "He says I can't even figure out how you're cheating. Mm-hmm. And you hear, you don't see a chair scrape away yeah. of somebody who's watching being like, whoops, I'm, yeah. I'm going to step away from this.
0: <laughs> time to go. <laughs> Shit's <laughs> about to go down. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's a really nice scene. Yeah. No, it's great. And then Butch comes in.
0: <laughs> and that's the first time we get that dynamic between the two of them is you have Sundance, who, again, is barely saying a word. Yeah. And it's Butch that comes in as like the chatty and trying to smooth it over and like make it okay and let's let's like work the room here. But yeah, it's a great scene (laughs) with the two of them.
1: Oh, and we also get that theme again here too, is that Butch is I mean, Butch knows better, but he's pretending to try to talk Sundance out of a gunfight mm-hmm. here. And he says, he says, I'm over the hill and that can happen to you, too. Yeah. You know, he says every day you get older, that's the law. One of these days you're going to be too slow. Right. And again, that's a theme that gonna, we're going to come back to several times throughout the movie of just this, this era mm-hmm. passing. Uh, but not yet. He's still pretty good, <laughs> as we see. <laughs> Let's talk about, for a second here, the real guys. And, you know, like I said before, Goldman was not that particular about historical accuracy. But the the larger beats of it are true, including the fact, and I don't know if you noticed this, they don't kill anyone in their robberies. Mm -hmm. And that was true. They were... Probably the last great gang of robbers of the West. They had a string of incredibly successful bank and train robberies, mm-hmm. and there is no record of them ever killing anyone in America. Hmm. Even Sundance, who got a reputation as a gunfighter, right. as a quick draw, still only wounded people, never killed anybody.
0: Because their beef was with capitalism, not with people, that's
1: Well, you know, Butch was a nice guy. People liked Butch. That was was how he got his reputation, is he was likable. Mm -hmm. He was known for talking himself out of situations. He was known for being friendly with judges and cops, which we see in the movie. Apparently, one judge supposedly told him, he said, Butch, we'll let you go if you promise to go straight. Mm Mm-hmm. And Butch said, I can't do that, Your Honor. <laughs> and Butch made him a counteroffer. He said, I will promise I'll never commit a crime in the state of Wyoming or wherever the hell he happened to be at the time. And the judge was like, good enough. <laughs> and just let him go. So that's who he was. He was a guy who just bullshit and talked his way out of situations mm-hmm. and got away with it because people liked him. Yeah. Okay, so we see after those scenes, the first thing we do is we, we meet the hole in the wall gang. And we have a little crisis of leadership going on here.
0: Yes, Butch has been gone for a while, which has left a a, a vacancy for leadership. And some guy—I don't even know this dude's name.
1: Uh, the character's name is Harvey. I can't remember the actor's name, but that is uh, Lurch from the Adams Family. Is it He's really? The actor? Yes. <laughs> He's a large gentleman. He
0: was a large gentleman with
1: uh, a great voice.
0: Yes. So Harvey has stepped up and said, <laughs> "You've been gone. We don't have time for this nonsense. <laughs> We're going to rob Union Pacific." <laughs> You can either, you know, get down or lay down, basically.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, and so we're going to have to fight.
1: Yeah. Butch does not want to fight. No. Butch is not a fighter. <laughs> but he's stuck. He's stuck having to fight Harvey. Mm-hmm. And here again, we get that friendship between he and Sundance. You know, the the banter, but also the loyalty. Yes. Because Harvey says to Sundance... Stay out of it. After Right. He says, stay out of it, because he's scared of Sundance. <laughs> but he also says, when this is over, and after I've killed Butch, you're welcome to stay. Yeah. And then, quietly, Butch says to Sundance, when this is over, if I'm dead... <laughs>
0: you need to kill him. You
1: need to kill Harvey. <laughs> and then, you know, this is this is one of the famous scenes of the film, is the, the knife fight scene. We've gotta agree on the rules for the knife fight. Right.
0: And then he just kicks him in the balls.
1: Because <laughs> there's no rules in a knife fight. Yeah. So. <laughs> But then he likes Harvey's idea yeah. of robbing the train, going bo- Harvey's idea had been to rob the train
0: both ways. Both ways, yes.
1: cuz on the way back,
0: they wouldn't think they'd they be getting w- robbed again, right? <laughs> good idea. So
1: we have the first of these robberies
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh in which we meet Woodcock.
0: Poor Woodcock. <laughs> Definitely does not get paid enough, <laughs> but is very committed to He's- protecting the the money of the Union Pacific. <laughs> very very polite,
1: very apologetic about yes. not cooperating Respectful. with Butch, but not gonna open that door. No, he so has a job to do. Gets blown up.
0: We all have our roles to play.
1: <laughs> and then they do. They do rob the train again on the return trip. They meet Woodcock again, still <laughs> recovering from his wounds. Mm-hmm. And this is again just one of the the iconic lines from this movie. This is one of the most quotable lines from this movie. Is when they actually Wood Woodcock has installed a new vault on the train. Yes. And they overdo it a little. On the dynamite.
0: On the, on the dynamite. <laughs> they blew up all the money there.
1: <laughs> Think you used enough dynamite there, Butch? <laughs> okay, but in between the two robberies, we meet Etta. Talk, talk to me about Etta. She... Catherine Ross yeah. as Etta Place.
0: She has the same sort of resting bitch face that she had in The Graduate. <laughs> <laughs> just, I, just nothing there. Right. I don't know, she just doesn't.
1: I think she's attractive.
0: Oh, no, it's not that she's not attractive. She is attractive. I just don't think she exudes mm, much okay. of anything. Like, her face doesn't, she just doesn't emote. I, it's a It's a weird thing. It's almost like, you know, in um, therapy sessions with people, like, on the spectrum where they show you signs of, like, this is what a happy face looks like. <laughs> this is what a sad face looks like. This is what angry looks like. Like, she doesn't have, like, it just doesn't do Is it. this
1: a critique of her performance?
0: I think. But it, I feel like she was the same in the Graduate.
1: Yeah, maybe I don't remember very. Well. I, she just doesn't. She, she was also in the Stepford Wives, then she, she, what, was, which
0: is where it made sense, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. I feel like A she harsh doesn't. Are, little hard on Catherine I'm Ross. I not like she's right, bad. I just I don't get anything from her. Okay. Um, but yes, yeah, so she is the only woman in mm-hmm. the film, really well, not the but the only significant female character. Right. And she is a school teacher and is basically Sundance's girlfriend, but she's sort of both of the guys' like play friend sort of thing. <laughs> like just they're 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 a little team. But the first time we meet her
1: yeah, you had you had some comments about yeah. this scene.
0: She's home alone, and she's sort of getting undressed for bed, and then she is startled to find uh, Sundance in her bedroom waiting for her, and he is pointing a gun at her and telling her to get undressed, and so... My first thought was, "Oh, this movie is taking a turn," because I thought these dudes were not terrible people.
1: <laughs> right, and again, that tonal right, you know, it's roller weird, coaster ride that you're on. It in was this a weird movie. moment. I was like, "Oh
0: God, is he a rapist?" <laughs> like, that's this is taking a turn. But it turns out, no, they're just into some interesting sex play, and uh, they get off on uh, I don't even know what you call that scenario. Uh,
1: S- stranger danger. Stranger
0: danger uh, <laughs> for Blade. Yeah. So it mm-hmm. turns out they were. I, uh, uh, in a relationship, so.
1: <laughs> and then, yeah, it is. The, it is the morning after that that we have the
0: terrible bicycle sequence. Yes.
1: <laughs> is that what we're calling it? Yes. We're just referring to it the as terrible, the terrible,
0: no good, very bad. The, the bikes. TBS. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, she sort of she sort of is both of their girlfriends. She's yeah. Only sleeping with Sundance, as far
0: as we know. Yes.
1: She actually seems.
0: She loves them both.
1: More emotionally attached to. To butch in some ways well, there.
0: Because Sundance is a talk.
1: <laughs> Sundance is not a big talker. No. I mean, I guess you could say that probably between them they might be like the perfect man, right? If you put them together.
0: Uh, sure. Okay. That could be fair. Well, but then you just need to commit to the threesome then. Just <laughs> because that's not fair to Paul.
1: That again is just something John Wayne wouldn't do.
0: That's. <laughs> You commit to the polyamory, and you all move in together, and that's just what it is.
1: I told you, Newman said that that was the story of this film, was the love story between the two men. Okay, so, like I said, there's the second robbery of the train, and then we have the super posse show up.
0: Yes, so Union Pacific... Isn't stupid, and so they know that their trains are getting robbed, and so they have set up some sort of unbeatable tracking team to go after... They've, they've
1: basically... And this is this is also true. They basically hired the best lawmen mm-hmm. from across the country to come together and catch Butch and Sundance. Now, the part that is not true... In real life, Bush and Sundance heard about this super posse and left the country. (laughs) They were like, fuck that.
0: Yep. That's called being smart.
1: (laughs) So the whole chase sequence that takes up the middle half hour of this film did not happen. They were just like, nope, mm -mm, we're out of here. (laughs) But it is it's also again, just coming back to this theme of just stuff changing. You know, I said earlier that they never killed anyone. There's this whole feeling that it's it's play for them, mm-hmm. that it's just fun and games for them, and that's kind of this whole this is where I think on a meta level, this movie is sort of interesting because that whole Hollywood idea of the Western and the romance mm-hmm. of the old west that's what they're trying to cling to, yes. But now this is, it's the early 20th, this movie takes place in the early 20th century. It's not 19th century. Everything has changed. Everything, capitalism has taken over. E.H. Harriman is not going to put up with this bullshit anymore. No. They are going to track them down and kill them. That's what they're going to do. Right. So that's, again, this movie just sort of being on the cusp between being a comedy and being a Western, between being old school and new. Mm -hmm. I think that theme of transition is in and around this movie on a lot of different levels. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, I definitely think it's this idea that the purity of the West, and as free as it was there were roles and so we're the robbers and you are the people that get robbed and mm-hmm. we all have you know like i said with what is his name woodchuck whatever yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know we all have our sort of dance to play our role to play in this dance and so what happens when those roles evolve or become more nuanced and mm-hmm. then it's you know it's a, it's a breakdown and you either adapt or you become extinct and so i think as protracted as the chase sequence was Especially given that it didn't happen in reality, I think it is a good way to dramatize this sort of impending doom. Yes. Even one of the things that I noticed, so, you know, the super posse is chasing them across field, across desert, across rock, across everything. And you just hear the sort of constant hooves Mm -hmm. of their horses. And it sounds like a coming storm. Like, it sounds like rumbling thunder thunder that is sort of chasing them and following them across the land. And so it helps to sort of drive that point home of, like, they are trying to outrun a future that will not stop.
1: Yep. Coming. Exactly. Um, They're trying to outrun time, right? And they can't do right. it, and that is driven home by what I think is one of the key scenes of the movie. In the middle of the chase scene,
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, talk about that scene. Yes.
0: Yeah, so they go to a sheriff's house that had apparently been sort of friendly to right. them before. As you said, it was not unlike Butch to just find a place to hide out for a while and people would, were typically amenable to that. So they go to this old sheriff's place and he's just like, you can't be here. It, it looks totally bad for you to be here. It's <laughs> At like, least have for- the decency
1: or- to hold your gun on right. me. Yes. <laughs> so they
0: sort of start trying to like tie him up and do like, again, play the role with him, right? Yeah. Like, okay, we'll do this. That's
1: the thing is that they are playing cops and robbers yes. and they've gotten away with it till now, mm-hmm. but this is the scene where they realize that's not... He explains it to them.
0: Yeah. So he says there's something out there that scares you, but it's too late. You're still nothing but two-bit outlaws on the Dodge, and it's over. Don't you get that? Your time is over, and you're going to die bloody. And all you can do is choose where.
1: Yeah. It's so harsh. Yeah. It's such a slap in the face. Yeah. And he's right, as yeah. we discover later in the movie. But again, that tonal shift mm-hmm. there where it's like, eh, it's all fun and games. Right. But there is only one way this ends. Yeah. So then they're running again, Mm -hmm. and here we come to the other and absolutely the most iconic scene in this movie, which is on the cliff.
0: Yes, (laughs) they've chased them to the end of this mountain range, (laughs) where the only choice is turn and fight the super posse. (laughs) Sit there and just let yourselves be shot (laughs) as sitting ducks, or jump Mm -hmm. off the cliff into the uh, the
1: rapids, 100 feet below.
0: And Butch is like, okay, well, we're going to have to jump. (laughs) And Sundance is like, no, no, we're, d- we're just going to have to shoot him. This we is- just got to shoot him. We're not-
1: Go- Goldman has said, if, if this is the only scene I ever wrote, it's what would be on my tombstone. This is it.
0: And this is where we learn that Sundance can't swim.
1: <laughs> I can't swim. And Butch just starts laughing because it doesn't matter whether he can no, swim or not. We're
0: jumping to our death into a <laughs> right rabbit. In the
1: fall will probably kill you. <laughs> And then we have something else that didn't happen in old westerns is they're jumping. This is just a long, prolonged shit. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a brilliant scene. Okay. So now they now they're they're done. They're on their way out of the country. And yes. They they stop to pick up Etta.
0: And that's where they find out who exactly... Because the, the whole time they've been asking, who are these guys? Yeah, they kept
1: repeating that. Who are those
0: guys? So they finally find out who these guys are, and they realize that it is, you know, some Native American tracker who is amazingly good at tracking. <laughs> right. and, um, some of the best lawmen in mm-hmm. the country. And so uh, it's time to go to Bolivia. Mm-hmm. Get the hell out of Dodge.
1: And Etta has one of her only little speeches of the film there mm-hmm. where she says... She's basically an old maid. She's 26 and unmarried.
0: Oh, God.
1: <laughs> and she's a school teacher, the bottom of the pit, mm-hmm. she says. And she says, the only excitement I've ever known is right here in this room with me. So she's going to go with him. But she says, she'll do anything. But she won't
0: watch you she die. She won't
1: watch him die. And, and she says, I'll skip that scene if you don't mind. Which, again, just sort of the awareness that they're living a story, yeah. I think, is... Is what's interesting about that. The awareness that they're living their own legend. Mm -hmm. You know, the story is going to play out. Yeah, so then we have Butch's big idea has been to go to Bolivia. Because he's heard really good things about about Bolivia. Bolivia. So that's where we have the interminable travel montage you were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier. Uh, And then we arrive in Bolivia, which is a shithole.
0: (laughs) It was not what they expected. (laughs) Not what Butch had promised. (laughs) And
1: Sundance is funny when he's mad. Yeah, Sundance Grumpy is funny.
0: As he's standing amid, like, chickens and, I think, like, an alpaca or something. Like, it's just like, this is, what? where are we? What yeah. is this? Yeah.
1: He says, for all you know, this is the, you know, most beautiful spot in all of Bolivia. And it turns out, actually, that Butch doesn't really speak the language so much as he thought he did, either.
0: Which would be helpful if yeah. you're trying to rob a bank.
1: So we got a little montage of Etta teaching them Spanish, just enough Spanish to rob a
0: Bank. Yes. <laughs> and we get another sort of musical interlude of the various bank robbings across Bolivia, and mm-hmm. they build a legend as large mm-hmm. there as they had built in America.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they get. Do they, I don't remember. Do they see
0: the cop that's been chasing they them before? Or they, they think s- they see him? They see someone sitting with a white hat on, which was right. one of the identifying markers of the, the lawman from the super posse. So they think that they've tracked them to Bolivia. And as long as they can't catch them committing a crime, then they'll be fine. So they're just going to go straight. Right, so they're going to go straight. <laughs> Get jobs. Mm-hmm. That doesn't work out so well.
1: No, which is interesting. They hire on to protect the payroll of... What's like the mining? The
0: mining company, company believe, right?
1: Yeah. This is uh, Strother Martin, who had worked with Newman on Cool Hand Luke a few years earlier. Mm-hmm. They hire on to protect his payroll. They're they're basically woodcock. They're basically woodcocks. They're basically <laughs> cops now. Bank guards.
0: They're the man. Yes.
1: But this again takes a dark turn.
0: It does. They are besieged on the return once they have the payroll and Strother is shot and killed Mm -hmm. and they lose the payroll and they come across the the Bolivian gang that had orchestrated the robbery and they're trying to get the payroll back peaceably and it's just not going to happen. They have to shoot them, and that's when we learn that Butch has never shot...
1: Never killed anyone before.
0: ...anyone before. And so it's this weird moment of, like, in his straight life is when he commits murder. Yeah. It's not when he's robbing. Right. So you can, it is definitely this, like, break. Like, what is the, the benefit of straight life mm-hmm. if you're going to kill people?
1: And I also think, coming back to this, and maybe this is a stretch, but I think coming back to this as this sort of counterculture film mm-hmm. of the late 60s, not that different in some ways from Easy Rider. Mm-hmm. I mean, Easy Rider, they said that was, we're going to be on motorcycles instead of horses. But basically, Peter Fonda and Dennis Hopper pictured that as a Western. Yeah. And it's a road movie. It's a travel movie. Like, there's a lot of similarities there. But I think I think there's an argument to be made that Butch and Sundance are very much in the spirit of that time in that they are anti-establishment. Mm-hmm. They, that The real people that can't be trusted, the real criminals are the government.
0: Right. Capitalism, And authority and,
1: yeah. and capitalism. Right. And that's when they when they join that side. That's the first time they actually end up killing people Mm -hmm. and actually doing bad. Basically, it does feel like that's they have crossed a line Mm -hmm. from which there is no coming back
0: at that point. Right.
1: And Etta realizes that.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, they have. She tries to talk to them about going even straighter. She's like, "We could farm. We could (laughs) do something else." And they're just like, "Yeah, it's not going to happen." No. So that night she realizes that that scene is coming up. And so she's like, I need to go back to America. Yeah.
1: She says, I think I might go back ahead of you. And all three of them know exactly what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Nobody says it. No. Yeah, I, I love how that scene yeah. plays out.
0: Yeah. It's really sad and tragic because, again, this sort of... The thing that's been chasing them all for the entirety of the film has caught up has to caught them. Up and that. this is going to be the, the end. And she d- never wanted to be there to see the end.
1: Yeah. And they don't acknowledge it. No. That she can't even really say goodbye. Because yeah. she's pretending that she's going to see them again. And they have to pretend that she doesn't think they're about to die. Yeah. Yeah. it's re- It's really kind of sad. And then I guess we are pretty much at the end, aren't we here?
0: They go back to bank robbing and find themselves in a standoff with the Bolivian army,
1: basically. (laughs) Basically the entire Bolivian (laughs) army.
0: And the whole way, they are bantering and joking, mm-hmm. and
1: they're out of ammo. They get wounded. They're driven into this tiny little shack mm-hmm. with the entire Bolivian army. And I love there's a scene of just the Bolivian army getting into position mm-hmm. that lasts. It's got to be like at least a minute, yeah. And it's it's kind of unnecessary, but it's also it's just as far as that impending doom you're mm-hmm. talking. Like we really understand exactly how hopeless
0: yeah this situation not getting is. out of this
1: there is no, no talking their way out of it. There's no sneaking their way out of it. There's no cliff to jump off no. of. this really is it, yeah, but you know Bush knows where they should go next. <laughs> australia australia and again it's like that scene with edda they're not talking about right. what's about to happen they're keeping everything light and they're planning the next step down the road yeah sunday's doesn't want to go to australia because look what happened with olivia yeah. they
0: speak english in australia they so. speak
1: english in australia and We're the fine. banks are easy to rob apparently from what butch has heard so Sundance says you'll think about it and then they rush out through yeah. the door
0: and then it's freeze frame, yeah. and we hear a barrage of gunshots. All the
1: gunshots in the world.
0: But we do not see our heroes fall.
1: No, we we see them fade into that sepia toned yeah. photograph, and fade into history, and fade into legend. It's yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. I think it's one of the, the great ending is endings. actually really great. Yeah. Actually, if you uh if you want to believe this has a happy ending, there were rumors of all three of these people living to ripe old ages somewhere in america
0: they survived the bolivian army
1: uh probably not but there were rumors that they did <laughs> and there was in fact there was a guy in spokane washington in his 70s living under the name william t phillips he wrote a book about butch cassidy that apparently had a lot of detail in it mm. and so there was this whole belief that that was secretly like elvis butch and Tupac, living, under a, living under an assumed okay. name all right um, Probably not, but that option—if you want to believe that—I guess is there.
0: I don't really need that.
1: No, you're no, ha- you're happy I'm to see okay them.
0: I'm okay with them. I'm not. I mean, I'm not happy to see them, but I'm I'm fine that they if they are no longer with us.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, it doesn't sound to me like you hated this movie.
0: I didn't hate it. I I think it would. I would like. I think it needed some editing. Um,
1: Starting with
0: the bicycle. <laughs> the bicycle needs to go. But no, I didn't hate this film. Okay. All right. Well, any final thoughts on Butch
1: Cassidy and the Sundance Kid?
0: (laughs) Overall, it was not a terrible experience.
1: Good. Rare for this process. Very
0: rare. And considering what I was expecting going in when you said Western, it was surprising. And I think it's interesting to watch a genre film that is about the death of a genre. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Okay, well said. I think we'll leave it right there. All
0: right.
1: (laughs) Go out on a...
0: (laughs) In a blaze of glory.
1: (laughs) That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week as Nikki and I sit down to celebrate the 30th anniversary of a film that helped launch a new wave of independent film in America. Steven Soderbergh's feature debut, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Nikia, do you know anything about this one?
0: That's the Is It Raining chick, right? What's
1: her name? Andy McDowell. Yes! And I'm sure she's thrilled to be remembered for what is generally considered the worst line reading (laughs) in any movie ever. Is It Raining? I hadn't noticed. (laughs) Uh, It's also your boy, though. Who's my boy? The evil rapey one from Pretty in Pink that... (laughs) You prefer over either of the other Steph. two guys, Steph. <laughs> James Spader. Yes, James James Spader. Spader. Okay, Okay. all right.
0: I'm into it. All right. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I thought thought you would be.
0: (laughs) Steph was fucking awesome.
1: (laughs) Disturbing. Your your preference for Steph is disturbing.
0: Steph would do coke off your tits, and you'd love it. (laughs) You'd fucking love it.
1: In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, where you can subscribe to the podcast, download earlier episodes, find our contact and social media links, or make a donation to support our work. As always, we encourage you to leave a comment on the show or suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means subjecting your partner to movies they really, really don't want to watch. All right, so I'm going to ask you the, the really difficult question here. Okay. Who's hotter?
0: Oof. I mean, the bike sequence was a libido killer. That was a <laughs> <laughs> that just dries you up. You are just not. It's you are you are yeah. So I think you're gonna
1: hop up here in my handlebars.
0: Yeah, if, uh, <laughs> It's So by default, so I am gonna have Wonderful
1: to go with Robert Redford. <laughs> On this one. You do like surly guys.
0: I do like surly guys. And when they got to Bolivia and he's standing there having his little pissy party about how shitty he thinks Bolivia is, he's wearing these like Cuban heeled boots.
1: Mm, that did it for you? It was it was
0: a <laughs> nice little look there. It was more like, oh, I wish I had those boots. Um, <laughs> <laughs>